Welcome to Off Grid Ireland podcast. Tonight we'll be speaking with Scott Mannion. Scott Mannion is a producer, a YouTuber and an advocate for traditionalism and English culture. Thank you for listening. Please like, share and subscribe. And if you'd like to support us, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link below. Thank you, folks. Your support is much appreciated. Off Good Ireland is pleased to welcome Scott Mannion to our podcast this evening. Scott is a film and ad director and YouTuber. He's the founder of the Greenwood concept, Anglo-Saxon values, the rural idea and the trend towards a return to tradition um, and restore Englishness in culture. Um, welcome to Off Good Ireland, Scott. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you. Um, I suppose starting off, Tell us a little bit about your philosophy um, and around, you know, the different ideas in, in returning to tradition and what, what you're all about, if you don't mind. Well, I suppose it's really the search for authentic being, right? Because when I began, as most people, I was immersed in popular culture. And as I came up, you sort of start off in uh, pursuing your art, quote unquote. It's a very indiv individualistic thing. And so it is funny how people have such a hoity-toity, you know, in the film industry and these, these, all these award ceremonies upping themselves, how important their work is. Ultimately, it's not. It's not serving anything higher. It's just really the ego of the individual artists and the particular project they're pushing, right? And so I just got a sense of this feeling over time that there was something wrong with that, that there was something inauthentic in the pursuit of, Oh, I just want to tell this particular story for, for what though, for the sake of what? And that's the, the key question really. And so that began my search for this authenticness because you, you, you're very driven by that. And that's, and I remember when I think what really triggered it was when I won awards, I won a director's guild award, a U director's guild award. And when I had it in my hand, I realized this is, why did I seek this? Why did I want this? It's really empty. As soon as you get the thing, it loses all its value to you, the award, the thing you sought. And I realized I'd just been sucked into this mimetic grift, which is what these mechanisms are set up to do, right? These award ceremonies and everything to uh, imitate degenerates, I suppose. And so I began my search in cultures. What, what fundamentally are we? What makes us tick? Because I decided that I just felt and seeing all the things fall apart in culture that I wanted to do my duty for one. Then there was this other thing. And, but, and what I found over time is in doing this work uh, that it's far more rewarding to be serving something higher, something uh, transcendent. Whereas when you're serving yourself in individualistic art, it's just it's something empty about it, right? So then I came to this work, which is it's going into more something deeply philosophical, right? Because when you're looking deeply into the nature of what makes us what we are, um, that's where you end up going because that philosophy is the question the looking into the being of the thing that questions which is us and the only thing that does question right that's the fundamental ground of knowledge and so that ends up being looking into what is the being of what you are as a people because you're sharing it with someone and so that's where my research went is looking into our greatest heroes and how to extract out of these narratives uh the fundamental values that connect with our being because it's not just a story of a hero it's these are things we've imitated father to son mother to daughter even without knowing what the particular hero is we actually share 
their procedures and we imitate them without even realizing it, right? There's a reason why you're attracted to King Arthur or a Robin Hood when you see people enacting these behaviors. It's because it's already in you to some degree. It's already in you, uh, not understood propositionally, but perspectively in your procedural knowledge, which is a layer of knowing. Think about it. When you, um, when you enact a recipe, when you have a recipe that is uh, to cook some meal, all the skills around it, that's procedure. It's not written down everywhere, but you know how to, um, you know, uh, whip up an egg. That's procedural, right? There are so many procedural things that we imitate, almost absorb father to son, mother to daughter, that are like that, but no one's ever said it as a procedure, like riding a bike is another one. So, and so looking into that fundamental ground, I found that these things actually match up. And when I did that work and looked into our greatest heroes and the sources that weren't individualistic, that weren't um, individual novelists, even in Victorian age, going pre that, into the ballad tradition, um, which is a great ballad tradition as well in Ireland. You guys can relate to this stuff as well. Um, but the great thing about that is it kind of evolves, it emerges. There's no one person. So it comes out of the folk itself. And what that means is, is that it's actually part of say a myth, right? You say, oh, it's untrue, but it's true to the truth of English being on the ground. So when you imitate this procedure of Robin Hood, which emerges out of the people, it works. That's how it's true. Even if it's not one individual person, this heroic tale is true to the combined being of the folk on the ground. Uh, so yeah, and, and in looking into those things, you begin to be able to explicate individual values out of it in a kind of Kantian way. Uh, what these, and you see it. So is say it, you look at Magnus. Kind of, um, is it kind of like the Jungian archetypes? This kind of idea, so, except yeah. you're bringing it back to your to your own, you know, folk or your own, you know, your own heritage, your own roots. Is that that's kind of what I'm getting? That's exactly what it is. Um, with an archetype, really, what that is is a daemon, which is what Plato called it. It's really an archetype is essentially a pattern of behavior, a procedure, and its outcome. A being that seeks. That, that has an end and pulls you in a certain direction, right? So there's really three things. There's virtue, value, and archetype, as you say. And those are all kind of bound together, and they're in our unconscious, right? So you've got the value layer. Say someone enacts the behaviors of, say, Robin Hood. When someone enacts those behaviors, it interacts with your unconscious where you have these values that connect with it. So... Tommy Robinson, for instance, he's enacting a certain pattern of behavior that aligns with Robin Hood, which is a value pattern that you have or an Englishman has within himself already, right? In the value layer. And he's got the virtue practices that have allowed him the possibility to enact this set of procedures that align with Robin Hood. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, because, of course, this ballad tradition, this Robin Hood tradition was all across England. Every village was they imitated and used plays, folk plays, and played pretend Robin Hood and shared the story. So the procedures are already in you, right? So when someone like Tommy Robinson enacts this value pattern, it we've already got it in us, in our unconscious. We already respond to it. So those three things are in us. The value pattern is the key thing, which is almost like the possibility as well of other people enacting that. Okay, because if you can know it, you can figure out a way to enact it. So my work has been trying to explicate this unconscious value hierarchy, these archetypes, as you say, in our unconscious and see these value patterns, even in our current behaviors and the behaviors of the past and to source that from the moral order, which comes from the, the ballad tradition, 
from uh, the stories of our greatest heroes. And all this stuff is underneath stuff like Magna Carta. When people quote Magna Carta and all this stuff, no, none of that came from anywhere. Like, that's not the stuff that sources who we are. It's well beneath that. It came well before that. That is only the more explicit thing that was written well after we had this inclination of, of, of how we act, a pattern of behavior. Then that thing's written right at the end. Same with common law, all that stuff. It's all the stuff comes well after um, we have this in our being. So that's the mistake people make is they source these constitutional papers as if they were the founding ideas when, no, this procedural knowledge, this imitated thought, this stuff existed well before that. Yeah. Was, um, would, it, would Christianity factor into this or are you, or is, um, or I suppose that's part of our culture for the, mm. so many hundreds of years or whatever, but, um, or is it more, is it going back into the pre-Christian? I, yeah, well, I would say personally, it, it does, of course, because this stuff is nested in an overarching hierarchy. And I would say the crisis at the top of it. Um, that's not to say that, you know, uh, the pagan bros, uh, they're not wrong in terms of these other things, of course, in our value hierarchy, you know, a bleak heroic necessity is a pagan value of that sort of uh, Germanic one uh, of, of, of fighting to the end. It's sort of with, with Ragnarok towards weird, which is a battle that we lose. That value is very high in English value hierarchy, right? So that's in there. It's just beneath Christ with Christ at the top. And these things fit into the hierarchy as our particularity in the sort of fractal that is the overarching structure, that's our particular fulfillment, right? So you've got the overarching hierarchy, the English or the Irish one slots into it as its particular thing. So yes, it's, uh, could you say it predates it? Uh, Robin Hood's pretty integrated with, with, with this stuff. So I'm not going to make a claim about that either way. Um, but you could say that uh, the ones related to Ragnar, Rock, do yeah. As for say that the lay lay people like ourselves listening, um, I I it appeals to me, and I think I think that's what what will save the West if if the West is to be saved. I think it has to be that we we take a step back and go back towards our traditional mm. value sets. I think that's the only way out. And you know, uh, family, you know, community, and you know that going back to the old tried and tested ways. Would you agree or? Is that kind of, am I under hyper? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I suppose the only worry we could have is that, oh, do we end up creating a semblance of what the things actually are? Um, because that's the that's the, the danger with some traditional things. You can get this LARP effect uh, where it's not actually connected and rooted to English being or Irish being, whatever that may be. And it's just a sort of caricature of it. And so the trick with that really is having practices that are beneath the propositional, like going to church, Christianity, all these things, looking for these practices that are connected to that. That sort of clears the inauthenticity because you, when you enact practices like this, your perspective, your bubble that's around you sort of changes, right? When you go into an Orthodox church, you cleanse yourself of the, your everyday concern by lighting candles, purifying yourself, that actually has effects ontologically, which means reality in your existential bubble, that has effects about clearing that, the everyday understanding of modernism that's in your brain, all the four concepts that are there. And then you enter the church after you've purified yourself from your everyday concerns. There's a bit of Heidegger in here. 
and then you're sort of open to it. You've you've opened your your beings open to the authentic ground of something. Then right, because too it's very easy to be in a position where where in modernistic frame and we start just larping it. And there's nothing wrong with larping, right? There's people always attack larping. That's how everything starts. I think a great warrior plays with a sword, right? When he's a kid. Alexander the Great plays with a wooden sword as a kid. LARPing is how anything starts. So um, you've got to be careful with attacking that too much. But there is a particular thing where it's just semblance and it's not touching the ground of actual being. And that could be anything. That could be, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of uh, Irish people that do actual fox hunting. So that's connected to being, being out in nature. You're connecting with being. If you can cleanse, find practices that cleanse that. Say you're out in the wilderness, an island, wherever you are. If you've got this, the, the worries of everyday concern, you're sort of connected to this modernism bubble. But if you can find ways and practices, Morgoth, for instance, has fishing. That's a way for his mind to break down these, you know, these layers of concepts to just, and eventually this is what happen, would happen with him when he's fishing, is that it would break that down eventually and it would open. And he's being sort of opens to it and, and authentically ha touches him. I know this sounds a bit wooey, but this is sort of how it works. Uh, with these practices. So the practices are really important to actually ground these traditional researches that we're doing. So yeah, it's, it's actually hard, it's hard work, but it's really rewarding, uh, especially when you get to try some of the practices themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's creating like, it's, it's kind of ritual, it's um, routine. And then also going out to nature, like what Morgoth was saying, yeah, with the fishing ideal and the woodlander, you know, he's at peace with, with his chickens and, and, you know, and it's um, it definitely uh, there's, there's benefits to be had. Um, people's heads are gone mad from the cities and from, you know, the rat race and whatever, whatever else. Mm. Well, what are your, uh, what are your, what's, what have your proceed, how have you, what you're doing changed in your neck of the woods? Do you, I mean, you, you've probably left city life to some degree. It's a, it's a very beautiful place, Ireland. There's probably a lot more untouched um, countryside there as well. What do you do? What are your habits that help you connect with the nature of the being that you are? I mean, you're Southern Irish, are you? I'm not, I don't know. So, Southern Irish, I'm from the Midlands. Um, yeah, I grew up pretty well. I was in the town, but we're rural, you know, as in, my, you know, we're in the middle of the smack bang in the middle of the country. But um, I, I, I like walking with the dogs fishing walking with the mm. with the dogs and stuff like that anything just to ground yourself but getting mm. back to tradition and uh i think i i was listening to one of your podcasts earlier and you had i'm not i can't think of the lady's name it's one of, one of your last two you had and she was discussing stuff you were talking about the flip side where people are going back to tradition and mm. um i was brought up different i was brought up and i remember you discussing this and i said i know i don't bring it up too often because you know you're revealing things about yourself but most people know about me but i was brought up um Jehovah's Witness and I left it when I was 13 it was my family's kind of thing and it wasn't for me but it's very you know ritual as in not now ritual as in on the Catholic sense but you know you're going three times a week there's ritual even with your breakfast you've got to read this day's text with bible verses you know what I mean and mm. I, I went away from that into completely what well I, I you know you wouldn't be it's very very uh what would you call it fundamental where you'll be shunned if you don't mm, uh, yeah. follow the rules within it but i had left at 13 or whatever but that was kind of you know so but now as an adult going back and looking at the, everything that's happened in the last three years 
Mm. I'm not saying I would go back to that. I, I, I'm saying I definitely wouldn't go back to that. But yeah. um, it's it's definitely something that plays on my mind, and I, I read the Bible and stuff like that. And uh, you know, if that makes sense to you. But I just thought it was interesting because you'd had this conversation in that podcast with that lady. So mm. I was on the, you know, I'd I'd had it and I'd left it, and you're kind of back now thinking about it again. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of people have this this sort of uh, uh, not not a positive um, experience with the more dogmatic. Um, uh, I, I don't know if that's Protestant. I guess so. Uh, more New Agey uh, Christianity, which is very do- dogmatic rather than old ritual, and that's why a lot of people are finding that they're connecting with the ritual of orthodox christianity which isn't about dogma which is the propositional you must do this a kantian uh, uh, at this time of of day do this obviously they have their rituals in their calendar but what orthodox is about really is is the the it's not just the propositions of the bible it's the whole ritual the saints the canon it's the, and so a lot of people are, are connecting with that uh, that even formally uh, had experiences like you did and and uh having a positive experience with that because it is just a very different thing so you might i don't know you may want to explore that i mean i haven't baptized into orthodox christianity yet i'm going to um but yeah i mean i just recommend it because i mean i'm not a priest right so i have people that uh, join or follow me but uh, uh the worst thing i would not want uh, the worst thing for me is to have what i'm doing be considered some sort of religious thing so i just direct them into the orthodox church <laughs> just go to them, go to them uh, in that sense um but i think it's you know it's very old it was the original church of ireland the orthodox church and england uh so if you're looking for the oldest christian tradition that's that's it um and it has the all the original ritual it's not dogmatic like uh the protestant uh, churches are so if you're looking into it or revisiting it, that might be the thing. If people are re-looking into it, because I know a lot of people have had that experience. Um, and yeah, it does it's seem interesting. Be... Like, uh, it's when I see it, like, even if you try and follow the tenets, say, if you know, I, I like, I know, I not, I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I probably know more than most because of my upbringing. So, like, you know, and it's kind of in your head, you can recall certain verses or whatever. But um, very hard to actually keep on the straight and narrow without the the structure. Mm. So even though I wouldn't go back to yeah. that, uh, I definitely wouldn't go back to that. That Jehovah's Witness religion. I, I have doubts about the whole thing, like you said, um, with it. But um, I do see the merit in having the brotherhood, the fraternity, the being yeah. able. It, it, your peers. It's very important to have a bit of structure to it. It's very hard to just pick up a book there, like the Bible, and work it all out for yourself. It's not just. Yeah. Doesn't, it's it's not possible, really. Well, you know, you can get so far with it. But um, it's hard to stay on the straight and narrow then every day without having that the 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 structure of the the ritual, I suppose, or going to to the building and you know having all of that. Well, you heard that this is a really important thing you've touched on here, which is that the thing with we used to think that, uh, especially in the Enlightenment age, is that oh, we have these Kantian propositions where uh, you must do this, and that's how you directed your will by, or directed yourself by giving yourself, I won't do this as a proposition on a paper. That's not how it works. What helps is you build up a virtue engine, I suppose you could call it, by enacting a certain contextual, um, uh, habitual behaviors that give you uh, sophism, that give you an embodied, 
sense of practical wisdom. And this is not really propositional. It's sub that. It's a feeling. You, it just comes to you the right thing to do if you embody the practices around that, which sort of make up and give you a, the possibilities, right? The classical philosophers would say that uh, without that, you have a, a crazy or a praxis, one of those. And that's when you know the right thing to do as a proposition. Oh, I shouldn't do that, but you do it anyway. Like, for instance, a, a silly one might be, oh, I don't want to jerk off or whatever. And you do it anyway, right? Some, that's just a, the most simple example I could think of. Uh, Whatever that may be, uh, it could be a big thing. But yeah, so if you're lo looking to do that, it's not enough or, or you're, it's not going to help you to just be, tell yourself to do it. You need a, an emergent practices that you build up to allow yourself to have that practical wisdom, the sophrison, that allows you just to do the right thing. It, it'll, it'll just come to you and you'll just do it. You won't even have to think about it, right? So, so really when you're working it out, you're working out the practices around it. And so that's what, what Orthodox Christianity offers, right? There's Lent which is when you fast, there's a whole calendar that helps you break uh, down your life throughout the year. You don't have to do that. You could be, use Neoplatonism, which is a very old tradition uh, a lot of people use to uh, build up a sets of practices. Um, and there's no, the trouble with that is there's no church, there's no community, and that's a really important part of it. So you're going to need to have build your own clubs with that sort of thing. That's the only problem with Neoplatonism. But we definitely need fraternal organizations where men only can do their thing and sororities need to have their own ones too, right? But don't be attacking men's organizations. We need that back. That could be hunting. I'm sure a lot of great hunting goes on in Ireland, whatever it is. I know shooting or whatever you guys do. Uh, but we need that, that masculine, right? Because it gets enforced, like you said. Uh, clubs get in uh, around that. those things, these structures. We think that we're just these radical subjects who... Use our computer. Oh, the technology is going to help us. The technology is the worst possible thing, because it it it's the unearned ease. It's the hard the hardship. The pushback actually helps you in many ways, right? And in this day and age, we end up having to actually create our own blocks between these things. I've got blockers on my computer to stop at certain times, right? And uh, whole sets of habits. I have a virtue practice I do at the start of the day, which is a Stoic review. Where I, where I set out what I'm going to do and then I review it at the end of the day, right? This is to stop bad habits forming. This is to constantly slightly change the things you're making mistakes with, right? And that virtue builds up is what I'm trying to say. Um, that thing, it's a process that builds up and then you create a, essentially an engine. You create a man, a virtual man moving towards your angel. You create this thing that's in you. You can't see it, but it's this set of potentialities. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, like in the Christian uh, image of it is like uh, you're climbing a ladder, uh, moving into different realms. And the more you do that, then you can move on to more spiritual practices that can pierce you into the next realm, that can get up into a higher transcendent being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's it's um, it's something that's lacking um, a lot, an awful lot in society at the moment. Like you, you, I wanted to touch a bit maybe on some current affairs and stuff as well. But like the likes of that, uh, men's groups and all that camaraderie and needs to be built up now more than ever like because it seems mm -hmm. our culture our way of life is being i know some people like to use the word replaced or erased or mm -hmm. you know a lot of people and um i i agree with you know the, the, these things seem like conspiracy you know 10 15 20 years ago but it seems we're in the midst of these conspiracies manifesting mm -hmm. in our in our life so all of these things is what, what keeps us keeps us strong and able to mentally and physically fit, I suppose, and to be, 
I suppose to get through whatever kind of trials we're, we're coming against in the next few years. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, and look what you can see how powerful that is, right? Because this couldn't be imagined before. The idea that we're talking Southern Irish and Anglo-Saxons pushing Anglo-Saxon values, right? That's uh, That just goes to show that we wouldn't push bullshit, uh, you know, all the way back then, that the conflicts that have happened between these two things um, where really the enemy has been moving against us and we haven't realized it. And we've been told that the enemy was each other, perhaps, or whatever. But it, the enemy is, is well beyond that this whole time, um, moving against all of us, uh, uh, moving against Western tradition, right? So it's great that we can come and talk about this stuff um, because we both want uh, these nationalisms, these folk uh, beings, these folk uh, of our peoples to survive. Uh, and there is a folk being for uh, the Irish. They have, uh, you've got a language there that uh, has potential as well to articulate philosophy or whatnot um but yeah it's it's oh, i really think too this masculine thing again this we need chad heroic masculine uh fraternal right not long housey this not just not just off grid but also we need our heroes to go out and do the heroism for a while then perhaps do the thing when they're older because men can wait a lot longer <laughs> men can wait longer right do their heroism I'm not suggesting that they should necessarily, but we do need our heroes to survive, to build the ark, right? Before the paps, they get uh, have kids. So there is that part too, uh, that we need a structure of sort of Chad male uh, heroism and clubs where they're supported, uh, perhaps financially, whatever it is, so they can go off and do these perhaps more dangerous things, uh, perhaps before they have a family as well and uh, i love family that's great have more babies all that sort of stuff but we do need a period where men do that heroic stuff because we don't have heroes we're in big trouble um as well that's what i, I would agree with that 100 percent um I, it's like the barbarians are at the are at the fringes now of the the empire and, and they're coming to cross or the whatever we're being like you know like a, like some kind of a, an invasion like just for the irish example there we've there was a guy, he was um, gang-raped up in, uh, I know we've gone into some heavy stuff, gang-raped up in Northern Ireland um, last weekend by, you know, these guys who come across from wherever, illegal. And um, there's rumour that there's maybe the same, a similar incident in Dublin the last weekend gone. Now, all in the space of less than a week apart. So we're talking about these, you know, masculine ideas. And just another thing I wanted to point out, because what you're saying, this is so badly needed. Like in Ireland over the last three years with the different um, protest movements over discrimination and whatever else, it's been the women at the front. And, and, and you know, yes, there's been men involved. I've been there to protest myself. But in general, women seem to still have, as sad as it is, <laughs> they seem to have to warrior spirit a bit more than whatever's happened to the men. I think in the West, it's it's like um, it's been done on purpose. This soy culture, you know what I mean? These mm. West spaghetti men and all this kind of crack it has to be reversed low mm. test oh 100 and that's uh, the raw egg nationalist right everyone here check out raw egg nationalist it's he's got a whole he's constantly talking about this how to uh, stop the the attacks on testosterone because that's basically what they are right the chemicals are seeping in everywhere he's got a whole uh all sorts of things you can do uh to make sure of that but it really the clubs all this sort of stuff but there's been a, the gynocentric culture sorry ladies but yeah the gynocentric culture for too long has been 
pushed in place. It's it's kind of gross, right? And there's nothing more a woman hates than an emasculine man anyway. So no matter what they say, whenever my protest they turn up to, that's I, I don't want to be crude here, but like there's so many women that are these left-wing type people where it's like, I like my husband, but I just don't want to fuck him. And what that really means is because he's so low T and he's been cut so much, right? Is that he's not a man anymore. And so then they get divorced, right? So it's not what people don't listen to what people say. It's men need to listen to each other, not sorry, ladies, not women, about especially about men, men's thing. And even at least that's been my experience, is that listen to each other about men's things and even about women, listen to each other about that sort of stuff because, and ladies, you're happier when this stuff is done this way is that you want your man to be a Chad hero. Even if you, you know, it's even if you're not getting exactly what, as soon as you're, when you're getting what you ask for, you don't want it. Right. It's, 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 it's like I said, like I just said, like you're happier in the, in the state where your man is a Chad acting like a Chad driving the car. Uh, all these small things matter. These little things, uh, doing all the masculine stuff, right? Security around the house, like segmenting that stuff up as masculine and feminine. And uh, those things make for a happy, a happy life, right? It's all subconscious. You just got to assume, uh, learn psychology, understand these things. And that's where a lot of those sort of PUA types are really useful. I know they're sort of out of fashion right now, but the, the females, the psychology is all important. That stuff all is true. Um, to life and the people they're with are so much happier uh yeah i'd have to agree with what you're saying there 100 percent. and i know some probably a bit controversial for some but i do agree with you um uh, and what you said is it's a truism it mightn't be every relationship or every you know thing but if that scenario plays out uh time and time again that um mm. you know they wanted a bit they you know people think say they want everything that when, when they demand it but actually, it can be th th that it, it they want to be told no, and they're actually pushing so far to to see they want to see mm. the no, they want to see the fuck going down, and it never goes down. And like that, then they're cheating or whatever down the road. But um, just back there to what, what yeah about what you were saying about the archetypes and that for men, I think that's what's important then about the tradition of it all. Like even if you look at the like the benefit of knowing the story, even about David and Goliath, for example, mm. like that seems to be kind of. Well, where we're at at the moment in in reality up against the globalism or the global homo's agendas or all these different things it is a david and goliath scenario but um mm. these are the type of things that keep you know keep you believing that you that you know things will turn around that we we can we will prosper we will prevail over the the forces of evil <laughs> that are dawning and down on us yeah <clears throat> well i think too i've said this before is that it's kind of when we just get going, at least in that uh, Germanic uh, mythos, in, in the Anglo-Saxon mythos, is that there, uh, the more, the worse it gets, the more, it's called bleak heroic necessity, basically, is, is that when at the top of your hierarchy uh, is Ragnarok, which is a war and a defeat, that is a natural order of things. So in our hierarchy, when that situation happens, when it becomes bad, then say if we were fighting a war against a Mediterranean uh, country who, who, in their mythos, pre-Christianity, uh, their gods won, right? So when they're in a situation and they're losing, that's when they it all falls apart, right? The defense stops. But when it happens to us, that's the natural order of things. So we just end up fighting on to the, the bloody end. And the longer it goes on, the worse we tend to get for them, right? For the people we're fighting. So, But before that, before we get going, this behavioral tendency 
it's hard to get it started. But once it's bleak, then it becomes like that way. So that's one thing. And knowing the stories, it's not enough just to say, oh, our values will kick in. As you say, you need to look, be looking into the, to the tradition because this being is one thing, but it's sort of discombobulated. It's in there in the unconscious, but you need the stories to organize it. And that's what you're supposed to spend your life doing, individuating. Your ancestors are in you in the unconscious. They're there beneath. And to understand yourself and ground yourself in who you are, you're supposed to spend your life aligning that. And that's how you actually form who you are as an individual. Or else you're just responding to things. You're reflecting. Uh, your, it's, unless you actually do that, uh, they'll just automatize in you. And you'll just behave as the daemon wants you to, as the hyper-agency within you wants you uh, to. Whereas when you actually make it conscious, so this is all young here, you make it conscious, then you're participating in the individuation process, which is doing that. You're aligning your, your, your ancestors. You're aligning with these ways of behaving and these grand narratives. Um, and that's what I try to do on the channel. It's, it's telling the story, not just telling the story, then unpacking its meaning, then aligning it with the traditional folks' patterns of behavior with current behaviors, the reflections you see in some current behaviors as the tendency. And what that people say that tends to do for them is they feel that they're being told something that they already knew. Um, and what that means is that they knew it on a, a procedural way. They didn't know it propositionally, but you're, giving, you're rendering it as a proposition, something that's in English or whatever it is, Irish being. You're rendering that into an explicit proposition, which means a proposition, it's a description, right? Writing, language. You're rendering it into something. It's not the thing itself, but it's right at the top um, of being, let's say. Um, and that is like, what is it? It's an alignment. It's like aligning something, uh, like some sort of 1980s Power Rangers Megazord. And suddenly, okay, that's individuation. You know it. And then you, when it's conscious, you can direct it, I suppose is what I'm saying. Yeah. We definitely need to do it. So, yes, you're right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, makes it makes makes sense. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely it's fascinating topics, and um, it's uh, it's I, I don't know. I'm I think uh, that's what I advocate. Like I probably I'm not into it. I'm not as intellectual as yourself. Gone as deep into it all, but on the principle of the whole thing, yeah, definitely that we need to be going back to the traditional way. Um, that our old ways, as they say, be it mm. if some people want to go back to the. Uh, you know the Germanic and all that. The, even we've got an Irish. We've our own. We've got the Druid type mm. of thing. We've got you yeah. know the pre-Christian traditions there. If people want to go down that route, personally for me, I prefer the Christian route and and Christ. You know, I I, I like. I believe in you know I I believe in Jesus. So yeah, so definitely. Um, I have a few questions here. I suppose just on um some current affairs just for the just to kill some time here and and um yeah, I just sure. love to get the perspective on them. Um, what do you think are the major challenges facing the UK at the present time? Yeah. <laughs> it's just so bad that, well, I mean, what is it really? It's a, it's a being ruled by a foreign foreigner, ruled by a foreigner that has no loyalty to the place. So what's the greatest challenge? Well, you're occupied by a foreigner occupied by a people that aren't actually of the of the united kingdom that's the biggest challenge because they hate us they hate they hate so what 
do you do that? Because voting doesn't work. And a lot of people are talking about Caesarism, of course, right? We need a Cromwell now. We need, I mean, I shouldn't say Cromwell at the moment, but yeah, we need an Arthur right now. We need an Arthur. There's no way about it. Democracy is, is not working uh, as it uh, stands with technology and everything. So you need, need a Arthur to step in, however long that will take. And that's in the moral order. So the biggest challenge is that, is finding some way to get the main party out. But the thing, I don't know how that's going to happen. I guess biggest challenge is waking up the normies. That's the biggest challenge. The normies, you'd think the normies have definitely, there's an opportunity with COVID where the normies go, okay, something's happening here. And with Donald Trump, and all, a lot of people must be being red-pilled based on seeing what Twitter had done to Donald Trump and all that. Then the enemy, of course, are working very hard to propagandize them as well. But um, so, uh, yeah, getting the normies is probably the biggest challenge, right? And you can see academic agent and various people that are working on that with sensible, sensible centrism, which is a good title. And it's true about tradition as well, right? The center is naturally where tradition is supposed to be. What's happened isn't what's supposed to have happened. We're supposed to be the center. The traditional ground is supposed to be the center. The radicals or the radical is the thing is on the outside of the traditional center of a culture, right? So what's happened is, is the radical thing, the degenerate thing has somehow possessed the center. So it's actually true to call it a sensible sense center, right? But the reason they've done that, and academic agents has called it that, is, is so the normies can see that this is the natural center for things um, and to bring them in. So it's not looking super radical what people are talking about, because it's ultimately it's not radical. Um, they're the radicals. So that's probably the biggest challenge, bringing people in that have realized based on COVID and ensuring they don't get uh, pulled in by the fake con, fake conservative, fake traditional, that's a GB Newsy. And it's okay that GB News exists, that's great and all that, but you want to make sure that it doesn't get pulled into this sort of grift network of uh, like Daily Wire, things like that, right? Which is just a distraction. And you just become a orbiter that the, the normies become orbiter of a managed opposition. So, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest one, really, because you need those people to, to wake up before you can do anything else. Um, you have to have that popular support. But, yeah, that would be the challenge, I think, is, is getting those people. And then participatory. The other challenge is having people be able to participate on the ground. Um, and you can see people starting things like basket weaving societies. You guys might be participating in that. Um, where people can actually network. Parallel economy is another huge thing that uh, people need to start working on. The Americans are doing some decent work in that. There's uh, Matt Peterson that they're building networks. We need to start doing the same thing across the uh, rest of the Anglosphere and in Ireland, the Celtic sphere. Um, need to do the same thing where it can be a commercially reasonable thing where you can, where you can look for a plumber or something. Oh, here's a plumber that is, is on our side of things. Here's a plumber. And even simple things, I, I'll try to do that, start doing this as well, is that why should we be buying tea and various things when we can buy tea from our own people or buy uh, coffee from our own people? Because they're staples, aren't they? So we can buy staples. It's pretty easy to manufacture staples and have a brand that's our guys and that goes to our people. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely, I agree. Um... Yeah, the, we try and do a bit of that here on the channel here as well and network and we've met up a few times and there's people 
doing great stuff around the country. Yeah, it's, that's all part of it, I think. Um, and the Irish situation is a bit different, but it's 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 very similar as well. They've got these, you know, the old legacy parties there controlling it, and they have sway over the media. That well, look, we call them state-run media because most of our media is they're just parroting the the government narrative, and uh, most people are. It's like the bread and circuses, they're going along to get along. And mm. I don't know what it'll take to, to wake them up. There, There is a bit of stir here in Ireland with the, the immigration issue at the moment because it's, they've mm. tripled the numbers or something in the last year and people have had enough. Um, But yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah I, feel, I feel your pain. It feels, it's very similar to, um, mm. to the situation we have here, definitely. Um, let me see, Poppy, I've have, have had a few pre-questions here. Um. I don't know. Let, let me think. Can I what ask is... a question, please? Yes, you can. You yeah, can I, yeah. I'm very much part of. I studied multimedia in college, so and film, and I'm a sculptor now. So I work with the landscape. We do a lot of land art. So anything I do is kind of. I'm trying to capture the essence of the land by creating anything that's found on the land. Do you know what I mean? Like I, we've, there was a medieval um, elk that was found over here. And so I recreated the elk, but I'm wondering what, are you working any, cause I want to kind of, sorry, I want to kind of capture people's, cause I, I believe film and art kind of, they evoke a lot of emotions and I'm trying to capture people's imaginations, even the young people to give them a sense of belonging to our old traditions. Mm. This is what was on the land. This is what ran on the landscape at one stage. Mm. And even bringing it back to all our kind of, all, all of these, the Irish animals, I, I specifically look for animals, you know, and recreate mm. different, even different scenes that would represent old traditional, uh, mm. old ways that we do basket weaving as well, which you mentioned, mm. and lots of different stuff. But I'm just wondering, what, are you working on a specific project at the moment that, that you know, you're putting out there to, to express how you're feeling? you know now you know because you seem to have turned to a kind of to a more philosophy a higher way of thinking really in relation to your to your film studies or your films that you've made in adverts as such yeah uh i definitely resonate with what you're saying there is a movement of plenty of people that i'm having people on the show that are talking about this is that there's been a there's been a aesthetic uh relativism which is disgusting that's been on a march for a 300 years right so this reconnecting with traditional being traditional forms is really important uh, this great uh, fen de villas does sculpture like you do uh, with an englishman in belgium and having him on soon to talk about that and his foot oh my god his sculptures are amazing traditional forms of this very masculine very uh, the will energetic and they're connected to ideas that are very authentic as well some philosophical ideas but it's not heady it's it's the being of the sculpture just hits you you don't need to think about it right um for me yeah i meld i meld verse with what i do because verse philosophy is another it's another type of questioning that's the same as poesis or po poetry poetry is a weak word but i don't love to use it but really like a metaphor it's another way of questioning being and usually all the great philosophical ideas are all founded in this this verse creation and language originally was that before it became solidified in the logos as, as really hard logic of what definitions are it was always that flexibility as a way of articulating being so the beings stands out to you in wherever you are 
And then before there was a word for it, you're sort of imitating what it is and your language and trying to articulate that. Then that being is open to someone else when you share it to someone else, right? That original being, that starts with poetic language. So for me, I meld that in my work. It's hot. Uh, my recent um, essay I did, which I've got a video called the, uh, the Death and Return of Kings, which is about the... Um, uh, about the death of the monarch, but but my articulation of what the true king is, which is the overking, the spirit of, of uh, the people, uh, the, uh, the being of the people, um, which is actually what the king is. It's a hyper agent, right? And I use verse in that to articulate it. So it's not just philosophy, but those naturally go together anyway. Um, but yeah, so you see in that, if you watch the video or read the essay, you'll see, ah, and that gives you another attunement, right? Because verse has a kind of attunement, uh, and that can lead you to a, know a knowledge. So when you put them together, you actually better understand what something is. If you're just given the proposition, that's one thing. But like I said earlier in the conversation, there's different types of knowledge, perspectival, uh, procedural. Um, and verse is a really important one to get a sense of perspective of what it is, uh, of how it feels is a bit... Emotion, yeah, better way maybe to say it was attunement because perspectives have attunements and they can open knowledge because uh, nothing is a vacuum. Humans always have an attunement. You already always have a, a mood or attunement, right? And so, yeah, it's a huge part. It's a massive part and no one's doing it, right? You've got all these people on the right and traditional, uh, lot, lots of people aren't doing that. There are people that are doing it, but there, a lot of people, it's this sort of hard-nosed, thick, sort of boring okay, let's get out of these Victorian papers and also open the being of what the thing is. There's one thing to say, this is something, or to have an archaeology paper, but give us a sense of what the being was, or else it's just a factoid, right? So yeah, it's definitely important. It's something that I'm always going to do. When I interpret stories, I give that energy to it. Um, and yeah, like I said, as an example of something I did recently was that essay. Um, so 100% agree. Thanks. That was great. Yeah, thank you. Stuff. Um, I should we'll go into and take a question there. Demo has a question. I think. There, demo. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, firstly, uh, thanks for for like really it's great to, to to listen to yourself and um, kind of give a perspective that's kind of like say more for. Of an intellectual nature, but I suppose when I was listening to you and the uh, the ideas of let's say kind of the the Anglo and the Germanic kind of cultures and traditions, it, what came to mind immediately was uh, Tolkien, mm. and his works were really trying, in a sense, to um, restore or reinvigorate that sense of let's say Englishness and also mm. let's say North European kind of cultures. Um, mm. And I suppose, like, you know, myself as an Irishman, uh, like, it was so easy, let's say, 40 years ago or 30 years ago, it was like, you know, the Irish and the English or Protestants and Catholics, you know, the green and the orange. And it was it was very simple, but in a sense, it was probably quite naive uh, mm. that our, our islands will always be entwined and our cultures mm. will always cross over. But maybe to try and get your take on this is at some point in... The history of our nations, of our islands, um, something happened where something became corrupted, 
you know, mm-hmm. that idea that, you know, uh, like we have our national identities and, and, and conflict within those national identities is inevitable. And, you know, it's not always bad. Like, you know, Cromwell, yeah, mightn't be the most popular person from an Irish perspective, but you can understand that he was parliamentarian. He truly was a Republican. Uh, but maybe not in the sense that uh, it was good for the, for the Irish or for the Gaels. But mm. somewhere in oh, our us. shared history, uh, mm. there, there was a corruption, whether it be kind of philosophical nature or religious nature or spiritual nature. Uh, like, would you have any kind of, let's say, ideas or thoughts maybe around that? Because, you know, mm. I think like 100 years ago, in the aftermath of World War One, and if you look at what the, it was an incredible generation who would walk out of trenches into wuthering fire from German positions, and we don't we don't have that now. Mm. I know yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a bit of a rant, but what I'm getting at is oh, some sort of corruption. Mm. No, I think you're hundred uh, percent right. Uh, that that is is uh you might be feeding back a bit there um <clears throat> i think that you could say that's liberalism i think liberalism has been a big corrupting influence like rousseau some people say uh uh lock perhaps but tearing us away from our traditional ground and even there's been that the sort of liberal american elites uh, I think have been a negative influence of the across us and caused conflicts between us as well later on. This sort of American elites, um, which have always and these people have been sort of against even the, the Anglo-American people. So, and against the sort of internationals, pre-international, right, and then liberals uh, as well. Cromwell, for instance, when Carlyle talks about Cromwell, he's very enthusiastic, but he doesn't he doesn't talk about what Cromwell did. It's more that he had this energy. Right, like Luther, that same sort of thing, which I, I also respect. But what he actually did, I'm totally against that. Like the idea of killing a monarch, Jesus. Um, so I'm against all that. Um, but I agree with you, that corrupting influence has been there. I think now people are finally becoming aware of this stupid conflict that we've had um between these two forces has just been driven by an, an alien thing that has had two northern European countries attacking. Or, or folk beings attack themselves. And I can say this confidently as someone that's half half half, right? My descent is both sides. So I'm half Celt, half uh, Anglo, right? So, and I like Celtic stuff. I like these things. Obviously my focus is my focus, but I've had Count Dankler on talk about some Celtic things. Um, but yeah, so I think there's been that. And the parliamentarians, that as well, that that uh, it's the always the elites, even the civil war, the, the American Revolutionary War, there's always these elites. Um, you see in the American histories, actually, they were loyal to the king and they wanted the king to take charge of the, the colonies and rule them early on. So it wasn't about the, the sort of parliamentary elites. It was, it was the, an anger towards to try to get rid of these people that are ruling in parliament, right? This group of oligarchical people. And Carlyle was a big person against that sort of thing. I think Carlyle probably actually helped a lot to explain that sort of thing. But yeah, that I think that liberalism has definitely been a big corrupting force and very early on um, that might be what you're talking about. But of course, it's always the it might be connected also to the arrogance of of uh, reason and the enlightenment, that 
arrogance of and that's who is that mistopheles it's it's the devil that's who the dark force is is this idea that we can work out everything with reason we can build build this tower of babel we can figure this stuff out when we were never supposed to in our religion it's not like that right it might be in the hebrew tradition is this idea that the state kills the dragon no not for us we're dragon slayers and that's across same for you same for irish northern european man hyperborean man is a dragon slayer so it's always for the individual to play a part in that not have a state do it not to have a state system to or a god to slay the dragon right so that's very important to us and i think that corrupting influence of our let's arrange this system to mediate moderate things and to stop outliers and stop great masculinity from emerging great heroism is yeah that's the devil um and we're always tempted by it oh we can just perfect it we can just we just do this right then it'll take care of this and then we'll be all be in a position where we feel good uh, it's always a temptation to to think a system can be put in place that's going to solve problems they're always going to be there we want it there's supposed to be something to do right the idea that we don't have struggle is bad uh, maybe sometimes that's bad about us as northern man that includes both of us Irish and Anglo is that we think that we can invent something as well, right? We want to conquer all space and think that we can invent something that'll solve all the problems, and that ends up being our undoing in in a sense, is that we oversolve our problems too. Yeah. I think Paddy wants to ask a question. Paddy? Yeah. Um it kind of links into what you've just said, actually. Um I'm I I'm you know i'm fully in agreement with everything you say it's great to hear um what you have got to say it kind of unlocks a lot of things for me really in terms yeah. of um ancestral beliefs and uh knowing ancestors and everything else i wanted to ask you um about the role of uh, of magic and merlin if you like um in all of this where one contacts the spirit world and um there is a sort of spiritual battle one doesn't have to do anything but maybe um use the imagination to to crystallize the future um and that itself to me is a kind of magic so um i'm interested to hear what you've got to say on that well what we're realizing now is the more work people do on cognitive science and such is that magic's real <laughs> all that stuff's real it's just been misunderstood what it is uh, and, and the way we might re-articulate it in modern scientific cognitive terms or whatnot is a hyper agency or placebo effect or a story a story is spell that's what it did and stories do cast spells and the more we use this ancient frame of framing it as a spell the more we realize that oh yeah this actually maps the appropriate effect of what we're talking about it does change possibilities right and bernardo catstrop is a really rigorous computer scientist also has a phd in philosophy has written about idealism and such even he's talked about this the parapsychological i mean i don't want to go to parapsychology i suppose because it can make me sound very woo but the, they did a recent study look at his book he has a book on jung um where it's very it's incredibly rigorous and yeah it's it's the data does say that there is a parasite there is a, something to there being an effect and this connection with quantum mechanics there and whatnot whatever but i don't want to go into wooville or whatever but there is truth to all of it 
And the more we actually use the ancient frame of things, and Peugeot, Jonathan Peugeot talks about this a lot as well, is it? That way of framing actually is more useful for understanding the, the complex phenomena that now emerge on social media and the manifest in reality, right? Is that when you use it, it actually is more helpful for you to articulate it and then to act appropriately to say, oh, okay, that's some sort of spell. I better be wary of this, right? So, because if you think you've got some, say, talisman or icon that's an evil one, for instance, you think carrying a, that around won't have an effect on you? And that's what we used to think. Oh, we're just, oh, science will protect me. Don't worry. It's just a silly prop. And then it just goes on and has its unconscious effect on you without you realizing it. Now we're realizing, right? So science ain't going to protect you. So you better be aware of what the saints and the ancients used to say about this. They're the people that can help you now. Uh, from these forces as they pull you from the internet. And so as there's a philosopher, Nick Land, who talked about uh, hyperstition, which is where when things speed up so fast, is that uh, hyperstition is a uh, contraction of uh, hyper and superstition. So when things speed up so fast, as things start manifesting, right, in reality, uh, from, say, 4chan, they say something and predict something, and then it happens. It comes out of Hillary Clinton's mouth or whatever. Um. But yeah, it's easier to see now than it ever has been. Um, that's no excuse to not be rigorous about it or whatnot. But yes, magic is real <laughs> to, to a degree. Yes. I mean, not to a degree. It is. It's just understanding how it works. Um, and you should because you've got to protect yourself from it because we're constantly things are drawing at us. And the only thing that can protect you from it is Christ, is a set of virtue practices, Neoplatonism, a positive hyper agent, for instance, right? traditional Celtic practices, whatever they are, better start doing them because or else you'll be possessed by something else that is very alien, that doesn't suit, suit your environment and is actually dangerous. Yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah thanks. thanks, Paddy. Um, I was, yeah, I've actually wanted to touch on the earlier about, you know, that the words are powerful because I've been saying that to people on this for the last few weeks. I've started to notice the, the merit in it because the different phrases and terms that we're using here in this, subculture are now uh popping up on the mainstream headlines where you know and it's they're, they're powerful like for, for just for activism and, and different things where especially with the immigration mm -hmm. issue the plantation is one that people used to call because it resonates with the irish and it was all you know now it's on the, the newspapers and it, it that's mad that's the type of magic mm. in in speech i think it said some of that in one of the podcasts that i listened to well, they can, they can open open possibility, the way you say things. Also, speaking possibility matters as well. As Heidegger talks about this, is that you can make a... You, when you speak a being out into the world, that creates a possibility of the thing happening. So before you've spoken that out into the world, the possibility is not there. So that's when people think, oh, life's shit. If you can get it out and to say what you're trying to do, the world will move to sort of help you or can move to help you. But if you keep it and don't speak it, don't say, I'm trying to do this, the world can't move to in your direction. There's truth to that. But the trouble is our grammar is in that, um, that Cartesian, which, which means a subject object, right? Which means uh, it's like an old ontology from the Enlightenment. We're still talking the same grammar, right? But there's this thing that's always been operating. <clears throat> is that your being extends beyond your body. Your room is part of your being. Your house is part of your being. 
your world, you are that existential bubble that is your world, that is people you're interacting with. They're part of your existential being. It's not just you. It's not just you and your body and in your head and this radical subject. It's never been that. Your being extends out, right? So for instance, like I said, if you're in a shit place, <clears throat> speaking that being, uh, and there are practices that, where you can learn a bit about that. There's, it's called, um, uh, it's where applied Heideggerianism, it's called Landmark. I think they may even run courses still in Ireland. I don't know if it's changed at all, so I can't um, guarantee it. Um, you you want to make sure it hasn't wokeified or anything like that, but they do a kind of applied Heideggerianism where they basically they clear the narrative you have about things, the false semblance, uh, and you speak speak being in, into the world, essentially, and essentially you yeah, basically clearing all the semblance and your possibilities open to you. What I know this sounds really woo, but when you clear all the bullshit of, of the narrative you have about yourself, the actual bottom ground of, of your existence, the possibilities open to you and your of how the world looks, right? Because how the world looks to you is governed by your wider narrative and goals where you currently are. That might be warped. Your current goals and what you're working on and based on your narrative yourself might be warping how the world looks to you because, it, like I said, that, those narratives actually give form and you can look at psychology, Peterson, whatever about this. It'll show you they actually um, give form to the world that you see what sticks out to you, right? Uh, that won't stick out to you if you don't have those narratives. So this practice does that. It clears away that. So just the latent possibility and everything opens to you and that's kind of a moment of vision where think about it there's so many things that you say you're in a shit position there's so many things you wouldn't do because you think it's beneath you oh, i won't go work at a pub because that's beneath me i have this goal but when you do your practice like this you're clearing all that and then you just have the raw possibilities of what you have left with your being towards your death that's the thing that's just yours right and that's what it teaches you is that you've got this sort of one life you've got this one being towards death and when you sort of understand that but you, you can only understand that in dialogue uh, and that's what this practice does when you understand that which is uniquely yours this being towards your one death that no one else shares when that gets in when you really break it down to that bottom level you have this sort of moment of vision basically where the world sort of opens up like i said you don't have the narrative there so the things that stick out to you are the raw possibilities whereas when you have the narrative you're relevance realization of what you see this is all cognitive science right is different yeah so hope that makes sense it's probably a bit hard to understand what i'm talking about but yeah oh it's good stuff good stuff uh james just do a quick question there i'm just looking at the time there we want to keep uh, scott too long he's been very kind Yeah, I was just, just when you're talking about how uh, things jump out at you and it's created mm. by the narrative, it's not really the trick that they're pulling on us here at the moment. They're creating the narrative for, well, for the masses, so to speak, you know, and they have everyone corralled into heading in the one direction, even though it might be to their own detriment sometimes, that it, because they're following instinctively the narrative, which normally you create yourself based on mm. your own you know what you're what you're mm. what you're drawn to and what comes out of yourself if the narrative is being created by the powers to be so mainstream media the government yeah. and everyone who you would probably instinctively trust not not that we would instinctively yeah. trust them but people by and large wouldn't trust them is this the trick of the narrative is this, is this, yeah. is this what doing? you're 100% dude i what well, you've 100% understood what i'm talking about then literally 
literally literally what the cut they have set a certain narrative right so all the people have that narrative that makes their existential bubble their world appear quite literally to them right to be true what sticks out to them yeah what sticks out to them appears that particular way so it's not just that they have this proposition it literally looks that way that's how it appears right so what you're looking for and, and that's the thing heidegger calls that for the philosopher he calls that the they the 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 das man the one the one one should do this one should do that it's this sort of wider narrative that we all have and we all do drop into this you can't avoid it you all drop into this they but that is the real forceful articulation of the they as the media and it makes the world look a certain way and the struggle against modernism is to constantly be finding practices to break away from uh the they to your authentic being right so it's, it's one thing to say break into one thing it's one thing for me to say this it's another thing to actually do it i can say this and this and might sort of get in there a bit and give you a sort of thread to follow but yeah it's another thing to do it you need practices to do it church can do it the orthodox church you can break close to this authentic ground there's tradition tra that's what traditions for right it does this sort of thing um but again like i mentioned the open ground but that's what you're talking about is 100 right the the that does inform their world and that's why it's hard to get through to them because the world looks this way to them so you're you're almost trying attacking this bubble and they you're, use you're trying to break dogma really at that stage aren't you it's a new yeah you're trying to well you're probably trying to break into the existential bubble first then undo the dogma because they almost don't hear it do they when you try to attack the dogma and make it maybe jokes is why jokes work really well right when you when you when you make the regime look ridiculous then that probably breaks down the narrative a bit whereas when you just attack it like uh, shapiro idiot shapiro sort of facts facts and logic whatever no no let's get frog twitter on this stuff right is that make them look ridiculous and that probably helps break down the narrative for the other people um i'm not i'm no grand propagandist i don't know how i don't know how this is done but that's what bap says bronze age perfect uh, is, i do think that's right it's, it's the comedy that really gets them right the regime that regime narrative and once they break away a bit i mean thank, i mean we all hate the internet but thank god for it right we wouldn't be here today i wouldn't be here today thank god I pirated books when I was a young man. I just stole every stole books and voraciously read. Um, thank God for it, in a way, or else I'd just be in the same position that I was in. Um, yeah. Well, I think you might have hit something on the head there. But you see, see the idea of comedy. I watched something there the other night, and there was a comedian. I think he might have been Russian, mm. and he brought him to um, to some uh, college somewhere, and he was trying to. He was he was put in front of a, a, a completely one hundred percent woke crowd. And he tried to get on their side with climate change. And he said to them, okay, you know, if, if I'm 100% believing what you say here and I believe the narrative and I feel it and I live it and I want to, I want to um, inspire other people to, to come with me. Almost like not only was this guy not going to change, but he wanted to bring the world with him down, this, uh, down the climate change road. So he said basically that he'd come from a country where um, they didn't have a toilet in the house and you were lucky if you had one outside. So he said, but... So if you want to, if you if you want to, you know, take a crap, you had to walk down the back garden. There was a little wooden box. You walked inside. There was a hole in the ground, and it was um, completely eco-friendly. And he said, "Some mm. help of you here." And they were all laughing. They thought this was great, you know. But then he swung it around and he said, "Like this is really helping the climate because basically, for the past fifty years, every member of the family in the house has gone down there, taken a shit, 
and uh, we've used no water to wash it away. There's been no detergents, etc., etc. So if you worked it out over 50 years from a family of six, and he done all, you know, he was kind of dragging it out a bit. He said, um, mm. you know, how 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 the, the, the how little impact it had on the climate relative to say your bathroom where you go in, you got showers, you got deodorants, you got you got you got shampoos, all this kind of stuff. You're flushing water 10 times, 20 times a day. So we said, if we, if we really are on, on, on the woke, I think here, how many of you are prepared to, now to go home today, uh, knock your bathroom down, make it into a, basically a spare bedroom, give it to someone homeless and um, dig a hole in the back garden. And then, you know, basically that's where you're going to be shitting for the next 10 years, you know? So, mm. yeah, I mean, that... we've we done, 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 done it through comedy, but, uh, you know, he, he had them laughing and he, and he was up and down, but he was able to manipulate them around into like seeing their own stupidity, but like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, right? It's probably a mix of that, of getting to them that way, but also then directly embarrassing the regime uh, as much as possible in what they're doing. Uh, so these other people can see that embarrassment, how silly it looks. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. I, I guess uh, some people talk about, I mean, there's the Christian way, which is the, uh, uh, it's sort of before giving, trying that, but that, that hasn't really worked, has it? <laughs> it's more uh, preparing for battle or whatever. I think it's better to, for me, I, I prefer just blocking, you know, and just building. I'm, I'm, on the, I'm not the tip of the spear, though. I'm sort of working on making sure that we have a hearth because they don't have a hearth. So if we can have this fire underneath, we'll survive. <clears throat> we'll win. At least in the long term, um, or at least have the arc that has the half and the fire right. But yeah, other people are more the tip of the spear. I'm not that sort of thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that yeah, comedy is definitely the way. Yeah. Thanks for that. I just got, I just want to let Brian in as the last person because we're over time. It's just that Brian is into the traditional thing. Just Brian, have you a question there just quickly before we wrap up? Yes, th thank you, thank you, Gavin. Uh, hi, hi, Scott. Uh, I'm Brian in, in Belfast on the north the island very interesting to, to listen to you speak in terms of the, the, the what you were saying about the um those those innate things you know um if i understood correctly what you were saying it's it kind of serendipitous in a way because this morning my late dad left me an amazing legacy of literature in this house and he's very passionate about irish theater and i picked up a book started reading it by lady gregory who famously mm -hmm. founded the abbey theater it's a book published in 1920 called Visions and Beliefs in the West of Ireland. And it, it's it, she was more interested in um, stories of real people. I hate to even use that. You know that terrible UK magazine, Real People, uh, hideous magazine. <laughs> but, it, you know, instead of verses or, or verse or, or, or songs or whatever, those real sort of stories about things and what you were saying there about the decline of everything we all get hung up on cultural marxism and postmodernism, which as we know all of this has, has infiltrated the universities i certainly experienced that back in 1998 when i did my first year at northampton and then transferred over to ulster university but I, you know i think that decline i mean the, the modernist period in terms of the intellects, the um, and philosophers was very significant. You know the Bloomsbury Group. You, you know you have Virginia Woolf or Ford, Maddox Ford, and all, all of those writers. And it's interesting. I was looking. I, I jumped while you were talking. I jumped over and took a look at your website and and, and your bookshelf. And I saw you have uh, T. S. Eliot there. Is it? You know Virginia Woolf once said about T. S. Eliot that 
there was there's nothing sadder than a grown man sitting by a roaring fire believing in God. You know, T.S. Eliot, as I'm sure you know, was a, a I think he was atheist, am I right? Most of his life, but later in life, he was a convert oh, yeah. to Christianity. J.R.R. Tolkien was a, a lifelong uh, uh, solid Catholic, as in fact was uh, G.K. Chesterton. You know, I'm mm. kind of going on a, a little bit of a ramble, perhaps, mm. but um, I think I think that 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 modernist period was very significant mm. in the decline yeah. of everything. Yeah. Sorry, I'll mute myself. Anyway, really, and all, I, I like what you said about having a morning routine, you know, mm. to, to kind of, you know, I think that's I think that's something we could all do. It's something I could certainly do. Yeah. Mm. Oh, so I put myself on mute. Yeah, I, I think that the Bloomsbury group, there's, you know, those people, it's kind of the reverse now of it, right? Is that where the radicals now that are sort of under attack when we're the traditional center, <laughs> Right, but you know that Virginia Woolf to say that about him, stupid whore, you know, stupid, <laughs> yeah. should be decapitated. Like what? this, these are the well, people what? that used to be the king, right, and sent it off with her head, right? These, you know, we just let these people. I'm sorry, I'm only women. Women might get antsy about this, but it's like this stupid bitch, shut the fuck. You know, like this. Yeah, yeah. So the, the other thing was you don't understand the thing, it, right? The other thing I was going to say that ties into what Patty was saying. They're bringing up the occult, of course. Uh, a very close acquaintance of Lady Gregory was W. B. Yeats, and he was very, as we all know, he was very much into the occult, all that yeah. sort of stuff. But uh, sort of my head's going here and there, so I'm sort of going a bit tangential there. Sorry, Gavin. <laughs> yeah, there's there's black. I mean, I think there's sort of high magic and black magic. I think the the the, the lower magic is this this little more dangerous one. Uh, John D. I, I can't remember if he was the he was more considered a sort of high magic. Um, I don't want to go too much in this because you know I'm Christian. <laughs> but I don't want to be too much promoting or looking in this sort of stuff. But uh, you know, there was an angelology and demonology. Uh, when they're looking into that sort of thing, these were Christian men looking into it, right? So I think that was considered high magic in that Victoria, that uh, Elizabethan era, as not bad and okay. Not that I would recommend people looking into that now, because I mean these hyper agencies are real. Uh, you don't want, the, you know, that's what Jung essentially did. Jung was doing kind of like what John Dee did when he was trying to speak to angels. Jung was doing that with the unconscious, using similar practices like Swedenborg. Um, who was a like auto auto writing right to try uh and when you read the black books of Jung, you realize yeah these forces are real these things he's dialoguing with our hyper agencies right um they are again it seems woo but uh when you understand it more you read okay it's more segmented it's very reasonable rational uh, and and there's many uh, the philosophers Jung's metaphysic is well articulated by uh, Bernardo Katzstrop, so that book's worth reading. Um, but yeah, these things are down there. They, they have an effect on you. Um, he did a lot of great research and experimented on himself to better articulate them uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. So, I mean, if it's, it, it might interest people, but yeah, there are too many people that misuse Jung and make him really woo, so I don't want to speak too much about that um, because it yeah, mischaracterizes him when he was super rigorous and super into empirical uh, backing up. All that stuff I'm talking about was backed up by clinical study. He didn't say anything about it until he'd seen it demonstrated empirically over and over and over again. Then he would experiment on himself after that to sort of see what's down there in the, in the unconscious. Um, so, yeah. And he was a good metaphysician. He just never articulated his me metaphysic. 
basically Platon, Platonism sort of uh, um, intersubjective, you could call it a idealism, realism, where it's real, but it's intersubjectively, uh, reality outside of us is intersubjectively manifested, right, from mind. So it's real, it's just underneath it all is a psyche, I suppose he considered it. But that's just as that's just as reasonable as materialism. In fact, more more real. Uh, and, and again, Bernardo Katzdrop, rigorous uh, philosopher, debated John Viveke, and Viveke, physicalist, uh, admitted that it's just as uh, uh, just as possible for that to be the case. So uh, this isn't uh, isn't woo in any way. This idealism as a as a alternative to, and I said I think materialism is ridiculous. But anyway, that's I want to go down that pathway this time of uh, talking. But yeah. Yeah, it's been great talking. Uh, thanks for uh, coming along, everyone, and thanks for having me. It's been a great yeah, pleasure. Yeah, if you're talking now. Yeah. yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. Thanks a million for coming along. I really enjoyed it. It's brilliant. Um, uh, very deep stuff. Uh, but um, it's brilliant. I'll have to listen to it back myself as well. All right. Well, uh, God bless you, everyone. I love what you're doing there. Oh. Uh, off grid is a good thing and a great thing. I'll uh, speak soon. Uh, look forward to seeing it come up. God bless you all. Yes, Scott, you must come back to us again later in the year. Yeah, thanks very much. So, uh, grab this. Thank, thanks a million thanks for coming million. on. Thanks. Really enjoyed it. Bye. Oh, you're welcome. Sure, where I put this? There it is.